Hi, everyone. This is Rohan Sadanti, and welcome to the Wharton Digital Health Podcast. It's a podcast where MBAs can connect with the alumni community about the latest trends, company initiatives, and jobs available in the payer provider, digital health, and investing spaces. Today, we are lucky to have B.A. Salah, a double graduate from Wharton and the Perman School of Medicine in 2017. Hi, B.A. Hey, Rohan. How's it going? Going well. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, BA is currently at Militia Hill Ventures in Philadelphia. It's a VC firm focused on life sciences, devices, and diagnostics. He also has significant experience in hospital administration in the Philly area. We'll be touching on both in this podcast. Um, So lots to discuss. BA, again, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's jump right in. Um, Could you give us a brief summary of your career path kind of before and after Wharton and how you got to Militia Hill? Yeah, um, so I didn't have the traditional path being an MD, MBA. So I was at Harvard for undergrad where I studied developmental biology, global health and health policy, and went straight from undergrad to uh, Penn. So the MD, MBA program is a five-year program where we do three years of medicine, a year at Wharton, and then a semester of each. And during that time, I had done some global health work in Sierra Leone, some early stage investing in Nairobi, as well as a lot of uh, hospital management and strategy projects um, at Penn, at Einstein, and at Mount Sinai in New York. So the way I got to Musha Hill uh, was through one of its board members, Glenn Galton, who's the current head of global health at Penn. Because having done the MD MBA, I was looking to really jump into investing in healthcare and understanding how uh, we support the entrepreneurial community in the Philly area and beyond. So Glenn put me in touch with uh, Militia Hill, and I've been there now for going on a year and a half. Excellent. Yeah, and like you said. Maybe maybe non-traditional, but we'll touch on um, all those parts. Um, I know folks want to hear how the winding path works. So um, we'll definitely get to, get to all those. So let's dive right in and talk about the venture and PE market in Philly. Um, obviously, venture and PE always hot in a bull market like this. Couldn't be hotter. So folks are really interested in figuring out what the space looks like. We can talk about later how to break in, but for now, kind of what the space looks like. And you have a special advantage in that I think you know the Philly market quite well. Having been here for yeah. years, you're plugged in. So could you give us, before we get to Militia Hill and, and all that, can you give us a brief overview of the venture and PE space in Philly, uh, just for your side, the healthcare side, and who are the main players? Yeah, so I've been in Philly now going on seven years. So I've gotten to know a fair amount of the players as well as understanding the market. Philly is relatively unique in the healthcare VC and PE space because it's been historically very underventured. Um, there are compared to your Boston's and your SF, there are very few firms in the area, which is uh, interesting. Just seeing the amount of academic and pharma and manufacturing strength that's in the city. You have multiple very strong healthcare systems that are churning out a lot of interesting research and spin out. You have pharma companies that are looking to uh, build 
through partnering with biotech as well as with these healthcare systems. And then you have some of the best manufacturing talent in vaccines and biologics in the world, but relatively few venture firms that have been here historically. Um, But that's very quickly changing as people have recognized just the amount of potential there is in the Philadelphia area around cell and gene therapy, around other spaces in the med device pharma biotech world. So the current players I'd say on the more venture side are our firm MHV, Ben Franklin Tech Partners, you have Osage, both on the venture side as well as the university partner side, which helps spin out um, tech from the local universities. Um, you have New Spring, Rittenhouse Ventures, BioAdvance, Biomotive. As you start getting larger, you have like LLR, you have 13, 15 Capital, which there are two HC, like Wharton HCM alums, Mike Colby and uh, Ed Chan, that are at 13, 15. Um, so those, I would say, are some of the major players. We've lost a couple that are no longer as actively investing, like, Safeguard and Quaker, but you're also seeing a lot of uh, the universities and corporate corporations themselves starting to invest in their own or local uh, technology. So Penn just put aside $50 million to invest in uh, Penn spinouts. Chop has put aside money, Chop being Children's Hospital uh, Philadelphia. Independence Blue Cross has its own venture arm. Jefferson's building out his venture arm. The Science Center helps incubate new companies. So there's a lot of growth going on in the Philadelphia space, but still a lot of, uh, a lot of room to become one of the next big hubs of healthcare venture and PE. Yeah, that's exciting. I think anytime I hear the word underinvested, I also, in the back of my mind, hear the word opportunity. So, uh, Seems like there's been an explosion in the space in terms of firms and capital, which is fantastic. But something that I wonder is other university towns um, like Denver and maybe at a larger size, Boston, it's difficult to wrestle IP away from academic institutions. So while I, I agree with you when you highlight Penn and other folks as kind of leaders in the space and investing in research, maybe spinning out their own investing arms. Sometimes it's tough to work with these organizations. It's tough to get the research out of the doctor's heads, out of the researcher's heads into a a commercialized space. And then the university takes a chunk of equity. So, you know, could you just give us a sense of, do you think there's a relationship between, in in Philadelphia, between some of these academic institutions and the investing community, whether it's just sharing ideas, whether it's sharing talent, or whether it's actually spinning out IP? Have, Have you seen it work? I think it's getting better in the Philly area. Academia is always going to be academia. It's always going to be difficult to get people to spin out tech, to leave, to run these companies, or to think of their science as something that's commercializable. But I think it's shifted very quickly in uh, Philly as healthcare systems and uh, research institutions have seen just how well some of these investments have gone. I think the investment that everyone always talks about is Spark Therapeutics, which uh, CHOP built and spun out and has been doing extremely well. It had the first gene therapy approved 
And the healthcare systems have taken notice and realized that there is a lot of opportunity to uh, start partnering with the venture side to get that expertise of how you go from uh, basic research into a viable company that can get a product out. So I think that shifted very quickly and the universities are not just sources of uh, tech and science anymore, but are starting to be their own uh, investors or co-investors. So for example, Penn out of its fund so far has invested in Community, which uh, is a Militia Hill Ventures portfolio company that uses some of Carl June's technology and CAR-T therapy, which was uh, part of it uh, went to Novartis, the rest has gone into this company. And they've backed Charisma and some other pen spin-outs that are finishing their Series A raises and growing very rapidly now. Got it. Okay, well, so there are standout examples of collaboration, which I love to hear. Um, and I don't know whether those get enough press. So I love, I love that you're highlighting it. Let's jump into um, Militia Hill. And um, if you want to touch on Brent, Ben Franklin as, as you spend some time there as well, could you give us a sense of how, how Militia Hill fits into the, the landscape or what they see their competitive advantages in the marketplace? I know this, this doesn't, doesn't have to be an ad for Militia Hill, but <laughs> we're appreciate you giving that insight because you're there and folks are always trying to figure out what differentiates the different funds and what their advantages are. Yeah, I would say in the Philly market, Militia Hill is taking on a different model than most. So we are using an active build model similar to what a Third Rock or 5AM is doing uh, in other cities, where instead of, for the most part, instead of going out and evaluating existing companies, we start at the stage before and have very strong connections with uh, the academic institutions and pharma and biotech and are going out identifying areas of unmet therapeutic need and then basically doing a worldwide search for the top researchers, top uh, technologies in the space, holding KOL meetings, getting people together. And then once I, we identify what we think is the best solution to a problem, uh, incorporating a company in licensing the tech, recruiting a team through uh, the network of our partners and then right. eventually giving them funding. So I think we serve a unique role in the Philly area of being able to do the operating experience of the partners who have had collectively three billion in exits through uh, biotech, understanding from the discovery stage, how you go through the drug development process and get a drug to be uh, commercialized. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the space that Moshe Hill has been able to serve in Philadelphia area. Ben Franklin Tech Partners is slightly different. So they're, whereas Moshe Hill is biopharma focused, Ben Franklin invests across health and digital health and devices and IT services. And they have uh, a mandate such that not only are they able to invest in local companies, 
they also want to invest in the local community such that uh, the companies they invest in are supposed to build jobs in the Philadelphia area, uh, retain okay. talent here. So they're writing smaller checks, but being able to support more companies that are growing that entrepreneurial uh, community within the Philadelphia area. Got it. Got it. So five minutes with BA is a lot better than an hour on PitchBook because you can (laughs) all our listeners, you can learn a lot more. So I want to go back to Militia Hill uh, as you're currently there. You've been there for a while. So um, I my own thesis on venture uh, in healthcare is that it's moving towards the Militia Hill model. And that's not just for life sciences and biotech. That's for healthcare services, too. Um, The reason I say that is because very few even pure digital health plays. Uh, those still have such a long adoption timeline that they need to be incubated um, and cannot just be given dumped venture money and then be expected to see hockey stick growth. I think those wins are quite rare. But in fact, the whole model is moving towards a more of an incubation model where uh, whether it's folks like yourselves who assemble teams and and curate uh, the portfolio or whether it's corporate venture who's better able to adopt and hold on their balance sheet, these assets of companies. Um, I think the model's moving that way. Do you see, do you see that too? I mean, don't, please don't agree with me if you don't, if you don't want to, but do you see that as a longer term model eventually venture and also more sustainable given kind of market cyclicality at boom and bust cycles, or is it that life sciences, you know, something else and something else are better, better suited for this long-term incubation but that we should stick to traditional venture models for other healthcare investing. I can speak to it on the biotech side and the uh, biopharma side. So the firms that have adopted an active build model have performed extremely well um, compared to other firms in the space in terms of their returns and exits. And I think the advantage of doing either active build or some form of incubation is that you're able to, you're able to bring in the right people to mitigate a lot of the risks that plague biotech startups. And you're able to do that from stage one instead of having to try to restructure either R and D plans or leadership down the line within a company's, uh, company's future. And you're able to, pinpoint the right people to drive the science forward, understand what the FDA is looking for, as well as fund and manage the companies in a way that just passive investment in biotech does not allow you to have that same level of control and uh, ability to drive forward. So I see, at least in that space, this model continuing to grow and thrive. That's great. Well, it, the only thing that that model requires uh, is patience, which uh, <laughs> is uh, very tough to find in 2018. So that's great <laughs> to hear. Um, two quick ones for you to, while we wrap up uh, the Militia Hill section. So one is, could you give us an example of a deal you've worked on? Um, don't have to go into too much specifics, but it's the one thing you'd like to highlight, just because our, our listeners are always looking for that kind of inside knowledge of how the firm works on a deal. So if you could give us one deal you'd like to highlight, that'd be great. Yeah, so I can talk about one of our portfolio companies, Tally Biome, kind of walk you through that story to understand how the firm works. Yeah. So 
Our partners, uh, Jade Hongsworth and Joan Lau, were approached by a local patient advocacy group in cystic fibrosis called Emily's Entourage, which is run by uh, Emily Kimmergallenkopf, who is a Penn alum. And she has a very rare form of cystic fibrosis. For people not familiar with it, it's a lung disease that um, basically over your life, you have perpetually worse lung function and the average life expectancy is still only in the 30s. Um, and the one major player in cystic fibrosis has been Vertex. And they've developed drugs that can help about, once their triple combos come out, about 90% of CF patients, but patients like Emily don't have a cure because they don't have the right mutations. So they approached MHV wanting MHV to lead the process of building a company to address rare mutations like Emily. And in doing so, the, t the group uh, went out and through hundreds of conversations and uh, two KOL meetings, uh, discovered some technologies at, in the UK, um, at the University of Iowa, some other locations, and settled on the technology from the University of Iowa because among the academic founders are the people who not only discovered the gene and how it functions in CF, developed the animal models that people agree if you're doing gene therapy to cure CF, these are the two models to use. So it was in licensing technology from Iowa and um, technology from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia on the manufacturing side that they're able to found what has become Tally Bio. And all of that process was led by what Militia Hill Venture calls our executives and resident um, experts in the field who understand how best to really build around these ideas. So Eric Yuen, who has now become the CMO of Tally Bio, is a neurologist by training, but uh, has worked and understands clinical trial design better than most people and stepped in to really lead the process of going from drug development on the gene therapy side into understanding how the FDA could get, uh, how, this, uh, how our drugs could get to approval through the FDA and uh, R&D process. So really actively going through that. Um, originally got grant funding and is now in the process of closing a series A to continue driving the development forward. Got it. So yeah, very hands-on process. Excellent. Well, look, I mean, for those listeners who want to do a deal with MHV or for the MBAs who want to try to work for BA, that was your roadmap right there. It sounds like <laughs> to me, which is uh, get an entire overview of the market, go very deep in one area. And then to me, it sounds like you're putting together the pieces of a puzzle. A puzzle piece can come from internationally. The team member can come from the West. The IP can come from the East Coast. Like, it sounds like you, you sort of fit together a puzzle and a thesis over a pretty long period of time to then uh, really de-risk the whole process. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's exactly what our goal is. Fit together that puzzle and hopefully put those pieces together in the Philly area to continue growing that uh, community locally. 
That's great. That's great. Okay. Well, then we're going to keep jumping on to, you have so much experience that uh, we got to pack it all in. So I want to spend just a brief period of time talking about your time at Einstein. Um, and the, the Philly market is just so hot in terms of competition and consolidation. And it's also um, uh, a market that stands like sort of to represent how academic institutions can also interplay with commercial payers uh, to the rest of the U.S. market. And so um, there's a lot going on here, and you've had some rare insights uh, into into leadership roles uh, in in the Philly area. So, give us could you give our our listeners just a quick sense of uh, what you've done already? So you've ha- you have some experience in the area, and then uh, this is at Einstein. And then could you walk through one or two challenges uh, or one thing that they're they're facing and how how they're addressing them? Yeah. Um, so first, I'd say the Philadelphia. Pennsylvania in general is a very interesting state for um, healthcare consolidation across healthcare systems, as well as um, trying new methods of reimbursement and patient access. And the Philadelphia area over the past several years has gone through a huge round of consolidation such that you basically have two powerhouses in the city. Penn and Jefferson, um, and regionally, those two have been extremely strong in uh, healthcare. Einstein is located 10 miles north of Center City along Broad Street, um, and it had been a smaller system that had been focused first on the Jewish community that had been living in the region, as well as as the demographics changed. Um, taking care of a more diverse patient population in North Philadelphia. And I got my opportunity to work at Einstein through a Wharton alum, Lee Ray Lee, who is assistant vice president in the office of the CEO, the CEO being Barry Friedman. And I worked on a range of projects at Einstein, but I would say um, some themes that we looked at were One, just as Philadelphia was consolidating, what role did Einstein play and how did it, uh, how could it maintain its name and reputation in the area as you have these behemoths starting to uh, encroach? And Einstein had a challenge where unlike Penns and Jeffs in the area and mainline health that that have maybe a 30, 40% Medicare, Medicaid, payer mix, Einstein's was 80 to 85%. So its reimbursements were based so much on what CMS would decide uh, with a new rate. And it was really beholden to the organization to understand how to work across uh, departments and work streams and make sure that they could continue to sustain the organization. And I would say a big part of that in the office of the CEO was determining which stakeholders in the organization need to be at the table for some of these far reaching uh, discussions. So it's not only the clinicians and people on the finance side, but it's marketing, it's operations, and it's pinpointing who needs to be at the table uh, was a big part of, uh, big part of addressing some of these issues. Recently, Einstein, signed an agreement to merge with Jefferson. 
Um, right. So it, so now the discussion has shifted to understanding how it now fits into this much larger organization and university, but still how it maintains some of how it maintains its individual values as Einstein and its uh, connection to its community in North Philadelphia once it becomes part of this larger system. So it's figuring out, it's still figuring out its place within Jefferson as well as maintaining some of its uh, uh, role within its local community, which has become dependent in, uh, on Einstein and what it's been able to offer over uh, many, many decades. Absolutely. Uh, and what it sounds like is it's, it's hard to figure out a strategy to maintain your identity. That's not just for a single individual, but of course for an organization uh, of Einstein's size. I mean, that's very tough. Um, and it's great to hear that you worked on that. And, and switching between your two hats, uh, I'd love to get a sense. I mean, you have a very unique background. But we have, of course, roughly 10 um, graduates per year from the healthcare program who are MDs as well and MD MBAs. So you're, you're obviously one of them for your year. And I'd love to get a sense of, so you've worn the investing hat. You've obviously went to med school. Then you worked in the hospital administration side under leadership. Could you give us a sense of where you felt that you were leaned on for your um, MD MBA specific combination where, where you felt you were leaned on for that versus leaned on more for MBA and maybe the answer is obvious but I'd love to get a sense from you on where you felt you've leveraged your background uh, in different roles yeah I think the the way that you leverage the background most is using the MD to understand a framework around hospital and healthcare workflows, how patients interact with the system to understand how different interventions, be that within a hospital management setting, be that as you're looking to invest in different companies, understanding how providers, patients, and payers will react and adopt solutions. Um, the MD gives a good framework for that. And the MBA gives good background understanding how to finance those solutions, make them sustainable, and uh, really keep them moving forward. And combining the two allows you to have a, the language and the knowledge to speak between the different groups, getting physicians online, getting administrators online, getting investors to understand why one digital health solution is more applicable than another. So I think you're being able to sit within both worlds and that is very advantageous. Because most, most MDs don't think, or don't have the training to think about um, the financial strategic implications of uh, their decisions on individual patients. And most people on the financial side who don't have an MD have not understood the nuances within healthcare and the health system and the structure of it that needs some inefficiency but could get rid of others and being able to have both insights, so I think has been extremely helpful, helpful across the different hats I've worn. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's fantastic. I know that I struggle with uh, just, I'm only an MBA. I struggle with what you just said when it comes to processes and knowing the day-to-day of a patient life, of a doctor life, of a nurse life, and, and how everything interacts. I struggle with that. So I'm looking for opportunities my second semester to, to flesh out that. Um, well, that's fantastic. Well, I want to jump to um, one of our most demanded sections of the podcast, which is hiring. So folks are always looking to get an in and get an edge. And, and, you know, you've laid out, as most of our guests do, that your career jumps have largely come with Wharton connections, especially, you know, in the last five years. But you, you have an outsized network in Philadelphia, but still it's not nothing that uh, folks here can't relate to, which is get out there, get to know people and use the Wharton community. So in that vein, um, can you give us a sense of kind of hiring MBAs into VC and PE specifically in Philly? So if you want to get into uh, MHP, that's great, but we can start more broadly, which is um, kind of your advice on how folks break in um, to the market. And if you want to, if you want to tint that advice with, how Wharton folks uh, break into the Philly market, just because that's your unique perspective. Uh, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. Um, so I'll go back to one of the, again, there's very few firms in Philly relative to other areas. So it's really over your two years or however long, you're, if you're looking to stay in Philly, cultivating those relationships across the different firms, because there are, even if they're not healthcare-focused MBAs, there are a ton of Wharton alums at firms in the region. And understanding the nuances between the different ones, I think is very important too, because they have very different investment theses, um, workflows, group dynamics, and you really have to be thoughtful about what aspects of the day-to-day venture PE life you are drawn to more to determine which firms you want to put in more time with. And that also opens up the door to, as you pinpoint what type of VC or PE you want to do, other firms that are connected, that are doing similar work, be that in New York or Boston or whatnot, that also have Wharton alums, just being able to continue those conversations. Um, I would say while you're a Warden MBA, and if you're looking in the Philly region, some easy ways to get involved are MHV has an internship program where you can, uh, during the school year, during the summer, come work with us on whatever projects we have going on at the time. Osage University Partners has um, a school uh, during the school year internship program as well. And some of the other firms are trying to grow that connection with the universities and uh, Wharton students to get that early exposure to how the firms operate and use that in terms of recruiting whenever they're raising next or hiring next. But yeah, venture recruiting isn't like uh, finance or consulting. It's all based on relationships and starting to grow that. We're just lucky being Wharton students, Wharton alums, that no matter where you're looking in Venture PE, you will find a local Wharton alum at firms. Yeah, yeah. And so 
and just MHV in particular, BA, would you like it if someone came to you with uh, what they think is a fully fleshed out puzzle? So you you gave us the roadmap for an MHV deal, an ideal deal. Uh, and that means piecing together the team, the idea, the IP, the which markets to tackle, et cetera. Um, if I'm trying to work at MHV, should I have one prepped up? Whether I mean, whether it's half-baked or not, at least I gave it a shot. Is that the kind of initiative you like to see from folks? Or is it like, don't worry, don't spend three months doing that. Get to know us first. I think it's more of get to know us first and get exposure to how we operate. Since it is different than most other venture firms, I think seeing a variety of uh, a variety of experiences in the background that can speak to your ability to understand not the, only the financial pieces, but um, the marketplace on the biopharma side or operations within a company and knowing that you're able to wear the many hats that as a team of six people we wear on a daily basis is much more uh, telling on how people perform. Got it. Excellent. Um, well, this has been fantastic. We have one last section of the podcast we like to do, which is open it up to our guests um, to provide any last thoughts. Um, that can be things you like in the market, trends you want to point out, um, other alums in the space that are doing something exciting, or it can be advice to your former MBA self. We're, uh, we're MBAs. We're always looking for advice uh, that can help us jump to the next level. So any, any last thoughts for our guests uh, and our listeners? Um, I would say, I would say the one piece I would share is as you're navigating options and making connections with Wharton alums, make sure to stay in touch and make sure to touch base every couple of months or showing that, showing that you're have still maintained your interest in what they're doing and getting to know them as a person, not just as a possible connection to um, a job. Cause you never know where people are going to end up or as people shift what opportunities they'll be able to help unlock for you in the future. So make sure that as you're reaching out to alums, maintain those relationships over time. And when you're an alum yourself, be willing to give back and help out the community because um, even if you're HCM or Lauder or regular Wharton MBA, everyone's here to help their fellow Whartonite and be sure to pay it forward when you're in that position. Excellent. Well, that's, that's the spirit of the podcast too. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, for folks that are listening to this in uh, October of 2018, I'm just going to say it here first so that there's evidence of this. BA uh, is going to go very, very far, and we're lucky that we had 40 minutes with him uh, in a morning to talk and kind of pick his brain because I think that's going to become increasingly difficult as he uh, scales his career. So, BA, thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, and we'll uh, hopefully you'll be hearing from from Morton uh, students, I'm sure, uh, in the in the coming years. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. 